This presentation is from Design Research 2020, Day 2. So right now joining me will be Natalie and Lee. Um, Wonderful. Over Thanks to you. everyone. Um, it is the home stretch and it's certainly been a new conference experience like no other. Um, so we're here to share a fairly recent uh, research, we call it an adventure. Um, so I'm Natalie, I'm in Marrickville in Sydney, and I'd love to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So we're three researchers. Marika and I have worked together for over a decade and we're super tuned into our way of working. We've worked remotely, we've both worked in parents. Lee is someone who that we've both admired from afar. We've, we've had lots of connections through different ways and we've always sought an opportunity to collaborate. And Lee's in our sister city in Auckland. Hi, Kira Koto from Tamaki Makaura, where it's it's technically bearer o'clock. And that you might not know this, but we can all see a color palette on the front of your screen. Hmm. Oh I'm not sure if that's I'm just gonna try and get rid of that right now. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Hope you can cope. I'm just gonna keep this moving. All right. So um it's a remote research team running remote research. It's essentially a diary study like no other. I mean, we've been running diary studies for years back in the day when we were building our own WordPress sites to run them. But this is a project that we did back in October. We started 2018. And we were actually thinking of presenting this at the design research last year. But to be honest, we weren't quite sure whether we were gonna pull it off. And it was really the recruitment that was the key thing that was keeping us up at night, as all researchers can relate to, the stress of finding the right people to recruit. So I should just set the scene and say that Marika and I had done a sort of prototype of this project at a smaller scale, where we were looking at understanding what's the onboarding experience for people starting to use Trello. This project had 12 participants and it was for their first 10 days. The, type, the project that Lee, Marika and I did is of a different scale. A critical to this project's success, we were having ongoing conversations that were participant led, was that we built that trust right from the beginning, right from the start of our conversations. And we had to establish respectful ways of working together as a team, together with our client and together with our participants. We were really nervous about whether or not people would wanna participate in this kind of committed research process. What if they needed to drop out? You can just imagine our nerves once we knew that this was commissioned. And the other important context here is that we were researching within a business to business context. We were trying to understand the experience of teams evaluating and onboarding onto JIRA. 
We needed to involve stakeholders across many functions from design, product managers, marketing, mobile app developers. And across locations, we had our client in America, Europe and Australia. And we needed to find ways to bring them on this journey with us. As we've heard with the other presentations, bringing your stakeholders in early is critical. So we saw some serious scale with Sean's presentation and ours is somewhat in that zone, except that it was at a different pace. Um, we had 55 participants across the globe who we had over 160 conversations with. We haven't actually added them all up. Um, each conversation was at least 30 minutes um, via Zoom. And for some people who stayed engaged with this particular methodology, we met them over eight times, over four to six months. So onboarding, it's a really tricky thing to understand and to research. We needed to think about what's the moment to start a conversation. How do we get as close to the start as possible? So we deployed an intercept to invite people to participate. And this intercept popped up before people had committed to signing up for a trial. And this was important. We didn't want to interrupt that process. Each journey was unique. We needed to be unobtrusive. And some wanted to sign up and get started right away, while others were essentially browsing and were curious to start in a week's time. It was a big commitment. We were asking our participants to commit to at least three conversations with us. So it was important to really set up those expectations early. We wanted to define what the ask was and provide a really great indication as to how enthusiastic they were about participating. So we told them what the ask was. We said, fantastic, I'd like to get I'd like to get involved. I'm not sure or no, sorry, this isn't for me. Then you'll see we had another question, which is, are you available to chat right now? We wanted to get as close to those first moments inside the product as possible. What do you think that meant for the research team? We had to be like water, as Jack said, to flow, adapt, reflect. We had to be available to hand participants to different researchers who were available, ready, online, ready to go. Oh, so, um, so being ready as a researcher, is also about how do we immerse ourselves in the domain and sensitize ourselves to the most useful questions. So, and it was just serendipity that as the project ramped up, I was attending EPIC. 
and those who don't know EPIC, it's a kind of annual global conference on ethnographic practice in business. And what it meant, it was the ability to have conversations with people who are not only involved with projects right now that involve anthropology, business users and software from firms like IBM or Microsoft, but they were also able to point me to key articles. Um, and there's a group called CSCW, which is Computer Supported Collaborative Work. And for 25 years, ethnographic fieldwork has been a default mechanism to intervene in the design of um, workplace software. And I'm just wondering if is a possibility, I don't think my, I'm showing up and I don't know if we've switched views. I don't know. I know that I've seen Tino's question about whether we can close the color palette net because I think it's still covering the screen. Oh, there I am, but now we've got no presentation. <laughs> okay, so. I have no idea how to get rid of a color palette. I'm really sorry. <laughs> So just um, sorry guys, I'm just conscious of the next presenter. I don't want to um, intrude. We're just pausing here. I'll just talk while Nick carries on. Unless if I create a PDF, would that be better? No rush, says UX event. So I'll chat while Nick finds it. <laughs> so I was at UX and so one of the... Um, Ben mentioned yesterday about Lucy Suchman, and she's like a giant in the whole field of software, machines, and understanding workplace practices. And she famously used video to understand how people interact with machines in situ. Um, and is partly responsible for us getting um, a big green button on all those um, photocopiers. And so, her comment about workplace practice, like the, the way in which people work is not always apparent, and that assumptions are made at how tasks are performed, rather than unearthing the underlying work practice. So by making work visible, designers create a more intimate view of workplace landscape, which is what I've just yeah. said. And now you'll see people, we have a beautiful screen and no color palette, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> That's just oh all it might nightmare, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so our questions from that were, how can we use video to make underlying work practice visible and create that really intimate view of workplace realities? And so part of the challenge was also creating a rhythm that works for both the organisation and the participants. So setting that rhythm was partly about developing a cadence that really worked for Atlassian. So that initially was the classic two-week sprint within an organisation and we were bringing stakeholders every two weeks. So later we expanded that out for three weeks. 
but we wanted also to work with participants knowing that there were known milestones in the onboarding experience. You know, if it's a seven-day trials, we wanted to be proximate to those dates. So this kind of shows how we went around about it. So on the left side is the orange circles, which illustrate the first conversation. So if we opened up um, Zoom and made that connection, sometimes we were spending time with people, getting them, as other people have said, talking about themselves, their context, their team, the tools they're using. But if we opened up and they really wanted to get going, then we wanted to be responsive to what they wanted to do. So we would be there with them as they got into JIRA for the first time in their trial and looking at their flow, the pauses, the questions they were asking. And if that's what happened when we wrapped up, we would circle back to those questions about team and tools and expectations. The circles on the right in yellow, they're like the check-ins that we did. So 20, we did the first interview just as they started um, on Zoom and observing what they did. And then we did check-ins 24 hours later, three to five days, seven to day, 10 days later, and then three weeks. So they're real longitudinal. And we were setting appointments ourselves with them um, through Calendly and trying to get a time when they would be naturally spending some more time in JIRA figuring things out. So we try and check in, say, what's changed? What have you been up to? Can you show us you know, some of the highs and lows? Sometimes they'd had great experiences and wanted to show what they'd created. And then we were spending time together. And if people said, hmm, usually I would Google this and then paused as if, but I'm not going to do it right now. We would go, great, let's learn together. So that real shared um, being there with them as they worked their way through and had the questions that they would naturally have. So in all of this, therefore, it really means that you need to design a lot of care in the process, people are quite vulnerable because they're literally being open about learning and trialing and making mistakes um, software in front of you. So we asked ourselves, and you might hear my dog barking in the background who is just um, being harassed by the neighbor's cat. Um, so we asked ourselves, how can we design a process that will orient ourselves into stake and all the stakeholders coming in into doing the right thing, as well as protecting participant privacy, their data, and all their work stuff that they were doing. So one of the things that we did is we wrote up some principles which really helped us, the stakeholders, and the participants. You can see that cat's quite annoying for the dog. Um, so the principles, as you can see here, that we wrote up, how can we be great conversational partners? How can we minimize that feeling of being watched or judged? And how do we take care to protect their privacy and their reputation? So writing this up, 
flowed through to the conversation guides that we wrote about how we talked to participants. But it also meant that when stakeholders came to us and said, oh, we saw that person, can we get X, Y, Z and track them down? We could go, actually, we can't because here are the principles. Um, so we had something to fall back on. And so we not only developed some principles, but we also developed practices. So before any of the stakeholders that worked with us, who we call collaborators, before they could access any raw video footage, they were briefed, and then they reviewed and signed um, an observer consent form. And we tied it in to the Atlassian values so that the ethical practice connected up with what Atlassian look to do with their customers as a value. And then following on from that, we used Google Forms to set up observations so that participants, when they signed the sheet, they could go and view, and then we were asking them to, what are you noticing and what might it mean? And trying to help them who are collaborating with us, you know, as other people have mentioned, it's very easy to get stuck in your silos or the issues that are really important for your team. So how also can you think beyond just your focus and tune in to what of all this participant is saying and what it can be telling us and helping us as the researchers on the team to understand what are we saying? All righty. We know with any of these conferences, everyone wants a window under the hood to see what are the tools that are in the researchers' toolkit. I'm super curious, before we share ours, I wonder who in the audience was out researching when audio tapes were still the go. They were still there very for the very early days of my career, my traineeship, and it's such a different way of researching. We would send the tapes off to be transcribed and wait for printouts of the transcript to come back. This is in the 90s. Come forward to today. So luckily the recruitment took a bit of time and so we could have the chance to explore what were gonna be the tools that we would use to manage this kind of project. So we started by looking at the strengths and weaknesses of the existing tools, the ones that we used for Trello. It was great having Leash as an independent reviewer of the way that Marika and I like to work. And post the Trello experience, we identified that we wanted to be able to see what each other was seeing, to easily dive in and dive out of each other's data, to start making those comparisons as we go, to help see patterns and possibilities earlier. And to also learn from each other's style and approach. It's a really important practice to review other researchers' interviews. Look at how they approach the same types of questions and explore and create space for observation. And that was a really wonderful thing that happened as a result of these tools. 
Welcome Dovetail. It was an elegant combination of Google Docs and Trello. And Lee will share a little bit more about how we embrace Dovetail. It was certainly important to eliminate the horror tasks of scheduling appointments in different time zones. So we brought on Calendly. And honestly, it's worth every single American dollar, even now. And then we needed to think about, well, how are we going to cut all these videos together and get them to our stakeholders to review and, and understand with us? Well, iMovie didn't have any blurring capability. And Final Cut Pro, goodness, we didn't have time for a three-week course. Luckily, we discovered ScreenFlow. We tried it out and we learned the way that it worked together, which then brings in Loom, which helped us easily capture and share the things that we were learning about our own tools. We used Google Docs to create our own instructions for one another. Top tip, and I know Becky's listening, Whatever you do, set up your Zoom recordings to optimise for third-party video editor if you ever want to use your videos in another um, editing tool. Otherwise, you're up for the green screen of death. So we were working out how, the, the, uh, how to set up the frame, what dimensions, as well as what kinds of blurring and blocking and tools we had to protect um, participant information. Then we had the challenge of managing the data. How do we make sure that we are in control of the data in terms of who has access and for how long? And Dropbox gives you these kinds of controls. We were using our client's um, Trello, um, Dropbox account, which had two-factor authentication. So it was by setting it at team members, only people who had this, cap this um, capability could look at the videos. And the links could be set to expire at a particular time. And we could also disable downloads, which is also really important. Once someone downloads a video, it's on their desktop, you've lost it. All right. So like many other researchers today, um, we love using Zoom to meet and spend time with our participants. Zoom is familiar, you can use it on PC or mobile. And the lovely thing with Zoom is that participants are empowered to have their video on or off. And this is really important to building that respect. So some days participants wouldn't want to have their video on and that's completely okay. It's really intimate. We're right there with each other in their physical spaces, in all kinds of spaces, on their devices, within their tech ecosystem. We were accompanying our participants as they explored, clicked, closed, paused, or gave up. When they had the video on, those emotions, those expressions were recorded. Certainly our participants reacted in different ways. Some of them would rather talk about what they'd done 
They didn't feel as comfortable exploring, learning, being vulnerable with us watching. And that was okay. Others were happy to go on the journey together. And we adapted to meet their preferences and their comfort zones. As you can imagine, our participants were busy and snatching moments of time to connect and be with them as they explored was really challenging. Honestly, we just had to surrender and allow them to set the pace. This project was participant led. All of our participants had their own unique journeys. Some had set everything up by day three, Others hadn't dare created anything until they'd watched how-to videos. Naturally, some are further along in their journeys at different points. We were really worried that people would want to drop out. And what was really interesting with this study was that people wanted to keep talking. And we asked ourselves why. Well, why did they want to engage with us and continue setting up these meetings and chatting? We were thinking ultimately, you know, the opportunity to talk to a complete stranger on the other side of the world about your work, about what matters to you, reflect on your own practice and what you need and why you're looking to this tool to solve a particular problem was actually somewhat therapeutic. It gave them the chance to pause, check in and use the interviews as a chance to take a moment and take a breath from their work as well. Obviously with Zoom, people opened their things up in a whole range of places and we as researchers did. We were opening up doing Zoom meetings at seven o'clock in the morning through to nine o'clock at night in the kitchen as people were unpacking or packing to go to Hawaii. We were in our cars, hiding in small places from kids and dogs. Anyone that's run a diary study knows that there's a moment in time where you need to say goodbye. You have to let go, be grateful for the time that you've spent together. I think all three of us are still wondering how some of our participants are going. The key part of this project that was really important was to break down silos and build cross-team connections. To build those relationships and understandings was a key objective for this program of work. We wanted to have a shared understanding of the customer experience, to learn together. So as Lee said, we recruited participants as well as core collaborators, which are internal stakeholders. With our core collaborators, we ran uh, sharing story sessions. So every couple of weeks, we hosted informal sessions with these collaborators. And they'd watched at least an hour of a participant inside the product. And the value of these sharing story sessions was certainly about connecting with the customer, but it was also about teams someone in Poland connecting with someone in San Francisco and understanding what were the initiatives that each of them were working on and how it connected back to the customer as well. So these became great cross-team collaborations which were anchored in the experience of our customers. 
So as you might imagine, we had a lot of data, a lot of conversations that we had had with people from different countries ongoing, so hundreds of hours. So one of the things that was helpful was using Dovetail to bring a whole lot of information together and to embrace it as a data repository. So something that had worked really well for us, particularly in our initial interviews, that we would typically spend, have a conversation with the participant, and then after that, review the Zoom video, and then write up and dovetail in quite a lot of detail um, what had happened. We'd put screenshots in there. We would capture key quotes. And so it was quite a detailed summary and we would code, create codes in the software for key things that we thought had happened. And also because we had, the observers were watching and putting comments in the Google Forms afterwards, we, were a, we created the double bracket. And the double bracket indicated here's an observer comment what they had noticed, but also the language they used to talk about it and what they thought it might mean. So we were able to integrate both our observations and theirs. So this meant that Dovetail was really an ongoing data repository. Um, so the observer um, stuff that had been captured in Google Forms and we had new forms for each sprint and that told us what it might mean and then by creating category codes and adjusting them and keeping them general enough which meant at any time later if someone was interested in a particular issue or feature we could quickly capture all the interviews that related to that and because we also had time codes where we had a hunch about something that was really important, it was easy for someone to go, oh yeah, these are all the participants, here's some key quotes, this is the timestamp that we can go and then edit in ScreenFlow. So it was like a catalog for all those interviews. So when doing to business to business research, taking care of your participants means also taking care of their team members their company, as well as any of their clients. It's really important when working with video to choose and protect your heroes. You can imagine the kind of information people might reveal about their work, their company, when they feel comfortable. And we needed to protect this information because it could easily be taken out of context. Choosing the characters to tell different stories is an art form. And what we learned was that telling the most challenging, the most painful stories are best told by your most endearing characters, the ones that are likable, who are going to be taken seriously by internal stakeholders. But also keeping in mind the need to be inclusive and diverse in terms of the perspectives. So we used a lot of subtitling to really help ensure that evocative language was heard. 
Video is powerful. It needs to be used carefully. If there's one research tool that can be weaponized, it's videos. They need to be more than sound bites, telling multiple stories so people don't latch on to one thing. And this is a quote from a wonderful local ethnographer, Charlie Cochran. There's an absolute burden of responsibility to tell authentic stories. Video storytelling. So the editing of the video is an immersive process in itself and it contributes to the sense making. You see and hear new details every time you review different parts of a recording. Video storytelling, like any good story, needs context. It needs details and it needs a rhythm. Righto, we're at time, so we're just going to wrap and share a few lessons learned. Lee, do you want to talk through these or shall I? Um, I'm just thinking. So I can go. Part of it <laughs> is about experimenting and learning together. Like it's great to really try. Look, there were a lot more software that we tried and said, oh, yes, we can do that, that will work, or we discarded, um, you know, like ScreenFlow um, was a great find compared to other ones that we were trialling. We also created our own um, Google Docs where we could share like what was working or developing a process so we could go in and add stuff as we went. Casual core team chats. It was great to kind of catch up on a regular basis and make it free flowing about what is emerging, which could be something really big that we thought the client needed to know or a stakeholder, or it could be a thread that was going through the research. Making yeah, data it was really important, sorry Lee, for us yeah, to yeah. jump in and just compare what we were finding confusing, unusual, or even indeed wonderful. I'll just jump in on the making data visible. It was very much about um, helping your, our stakeholders tune in and understand what's significant for our participants early to help them understand what do our participants care about. So sharing as you go was really critical, especially for all of us who hadn't used the product ourselves, which was handy when people would ask us questions because we didn't know the answers, but it wasn't handy when it came to trying to understand what was going on. So we leaned on our stakeholders to help us with our interpretations. It was also really important on the practical front just to wrap up to take care of each other and we've heard about this and particularly working in um, social research spaces. Even with this project, checking in after any difficult, tricky conversations. And we'll wrap it there. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Natalie. That was great. Thank you. <laughs>